Good morning. It's all good to be with you this morning. I'm reading from Romans 13, 1 through 10. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? And do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities and ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one, owe no one anything except a love for each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covert. And any, any other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Lord God, we thank you for the reading of Scripture. And Lord, we just thank you for gathering us here today. Now, Lord, be with Aaron as he brings us the message. May we have open ears to hear what he has to say. And I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, good morning. We have some fun passages this morning, as you can tell. Alphas can be dismissed. So the city that we moved from in Irvine, California, is a city that is known as a master-planned community. Everything, and I do mean everything, is planned with precision in its development. Housing communities, apartment buildings, stores, schools, population densities, everything. Even cell towers are planned precisely. And because cell towers in California are not aesthetically pleasing, the cell reception is just as bad as it is here in Vermont. <laughs> Even religious buildings are controlled. Sometimes they are put in main intersections, and oftentimes in recent years, they're put off on the outskirts of the city center. Even religious buildings are controlled. In churches, they, complete, they compete with mosques, Mormon wards, Jewish temples for religious space that is specifically appointed at a particular location. 
So from the church that we were in in 2005 when it was built, we were told at the time that it was going to be the last church building built into the city of Irvine. And that seems kind of foreign to us, doesn't it? Where we are living in an area where many churches are just empty. They're not even used. But there they control everything. And so the question I want to ask is, are regulations a form of persecution? Or is it just a difficulty? I think being a church can be hard. Planting churches can be hard. Some places are hard where churches exist or for churches to exist. They're hard for churches to start. The weather's cold. Natives are hostile. Existing churches don't like to work with other churches. They want to keep the territory for themselves. The government regulates things and the list goes on and on and on. There's a reason that unreached places in the world today are unreached, because they are hard. Something Vermont and New England is hard. But friends, we are called to love God, and that love is reciprocated from God. We are called to love others, and sometimes it is not reciprocated back to us, and we are called to make disciples. And so Ezra 4 begins with antagonism towards Israel. Passive antagonism turns to exponential over the course of our text, where the local enemies become nationalistic and then they spread worldwide. And so if you want to turn in Ezra 4, we're going to look at the passage as we consider what it means for us today in central Vermont in 2023. We'll be in Ezra 4. I'll read the chapter for us. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's house in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. But we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes, Bilshalem, and Mithrida, and Tabil, and the rest of their associates wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. The letter was written in Aramaic and translated. Rahim, the commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, as follows. Rahim, the commander, Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of the associates, the judges, the governors, the officials, the Persians, the men of Erech, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is, the Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Asnapar deported and settled in the cities of Samaria and in the rest of the province beyond the river. This is a copy of the letter that was sent. 
To Artaxerxes the king, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting. And now, be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to us have gone to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Now because we eat the salt of the place and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor, therefore we send and inform the king in order that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers. You will find in the book of the records and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and promises, and that sedition was stirred up in the form of old. That was the why this city was laid waste. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you will have no possession in the province beyond the river. And the king sent an answer to Rahem the commander and Shimshai the scribe and the rest of their associates who live in Samaria and in the rest of the province beyond the river. Greeting. And now the letter that you sent to us has been plainly read before me. And I made a decree. And search has been made, and it has been found that the city from the old has risen against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made in it. And mighty kings have been over Jerusalem, who ruled over the whole province beyond the river, to whom tribute, custom, and toll were paid. Therefore make a decree that these men be made to cease, and that the city not be rebuilt, until the decree is made by me. And take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to hurt the king? And then when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahim and Shimshai the scribe and their associates, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them cease. Then the work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, for this passage. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so, God, we ask that you would teach and correct and rebuke us into righteousness today. God, even as Phil read uh, our scripture reading, some of these things are really, really hard to joyfully submit to you in. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to act in accordance with your word, that our hearts would be transformed, that we would follow and worship you, even in the midst of difficulty, in our own hearts, in the midst of difficulty around us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so how is God in control of all of this? How will God use these events in our text this morning? How does it relate to us? How do we apply this to our lives? And so I think what I'll do is we'll break down the passage first, and then I think uh, we will have some takeaways. Actually, I know we will have some takeaways uh, at the end uh, as we apply this to our own lives. So verse 1 starts with Cyrus. As you recall from chapter 1, the Lord stirred within Cyrus for him to set a decree to send the Israelites back to Jerusalem. And these adversaries, they rise up in our text and they color the whole chapter that we're looking at this morning. You probably picked that up. The, the natives of the land are becoming hostile to the people of God. 
So one thing that our family used to do uh, when we were in California is around the holidays, we would uh, bake Christmas cookies. We would go and take them to our neighbors. It's an easy way to meet our neighbors. It's an easy way to bless our neighbors. It's an easy way to build some relationship with our neighbors, to uh, have a conversation. And sometimes your neighbors answer the door in their underwear, which did happen to us. But when we moved to Vermont... We did this at our first house that we lived in. We went over, we knocked on the door, and as we knocked on the door, the lady walked by, she looked at us, and she kept going. And we was like, oh, maybe she didn't hear us. So we knocked on the door again, and her boyfriend walked by, and he looked at us too, and he walked right into the kitchen, and we saw them get a cup of coffee and turn their backs towards the door, and we're like, okay, well, we're new here, so maybe we realize that Vermonters don't use their front door, so we went to the side door where their cars were parked. We knocked on that door as well. They didn't answer, so we just left the cookies on the porch. We weren't persecuted, but we also were ignored. I think most adversaries in our world today just ignore us as a church. They do their thing. They say, you guys do your thing. Well, in Jerusalem, these adversaries didn't like what was happening. And so slyly, they approached the civic leader, Zerubbabel, the heads of the household, the men of these households, with a proposal. Let us join you. We worship your God. We have been sacrificing here in the land. We are on your team. They did sacrifice to God, more than likely, but they also mixed in some synchronistic practices, some other religions into the worship of the Lord. Remember how the chapter started. These are adversaries. Maybe they would work slowly, or maybe they would work poorly. They would maybe waste some time. They would waste some money and to stop the project, or the people of God would move on. Kind of like an Act 250 uh, evaluation, just dying on the vine. Maybe they wanted to build poorly, where the mortar would be a little less strong and the walls would be easily able to be attacked and they would flee if we were to fight against them. But they did say they served God. But they don't truly. And so the people of God refused their offer of help. You'll have no part. This is the house of our God. We alone will do the work. Israel knew full well their intent was to frustrate the project and not to help with the project. This is religious strife. It's about who and how the people of God were to worship. And they were beginning to want to mix in together with the people of God and the worship of Yahweh polytheism or worshiping multiple gods. Estranged from Yahweh, they would pick up practices and would mix together other practices of other religions to mix in a little bit of what the people of God were doing. And I think this happens a lot in our world today, especially in churches, even in our area. A couple examples. We want to open up our building for people to use. Sometimes we've opened them up to some of the local organizations here to have events in our building, to allow the schools to do training events in our building. But we won't allow our building to be opened up for things that are contrary to Scripture, like certain weddings or events against God, even if it would bring in money for us. We don't allow financial syncretism to color how we use our facility, even if that might hurt us one day. 
Financial syncretism, I think, happens, but also so does sexual syncretism. Our world worships sex. In the ancient world, children were sacrificed, and many more children are sacrificed today. It shows up in sexual freedom, where churches become so much like the culture around us that they lose the gospel. Where marriage is between one man and one woman before one God for one lifetime. And the gospel of some of these churches is sleep with whomever you want and it'll be okay. God loves you. Syncretism happens by not talking about sexual sin in churches and avoiding some of these hard conversations. But that's not limited to homosexuality. I think churches avoid conversations like divorce or fornication or pornography. And all of it needs to be addressed. Not just the ones that we feel are gross. Because in God's eyes, they're all gross. We wouldn't partner with churches like that. They might try to worship our Lord, but they aren't. And this is synchronizing and becoming more like culture. So you have material syncretism, sexual syncretism. I think the third one today is national syncretism. Many churches don't care about the rainbow flags, but they care about red and blue flags. A certain person in office will save us. And it happens on both sides of the aisle. People should follow the laws. People should obey the laws. We want to worship freely. But having in Christians and having Christians in office would be great if people had laws in accordance with God's moral law. Kevin Young says, any vision of Christian nationalism that increases the importance of the nation at the expense and the importance of the church is a price too high to pay. And so vote, voice your concerns, pray for our nation. But the U.S. is not God's plan A for the world. It's the church. Some churches are very offended when we call out their syncretism. How dare you? In Jerusalem, the real attitude of the adversaries comes out and they ratchet up the persecution and the discouragement with fear and bribing. They aren't friends. They are foes. So locally, the officials, they become even more against the project. But they need to go higher up the chain of command. They need to go to somebody who can actually do something about it. And so they go off to Babylon. They write this letter. In our vernacular, discouragement often means a, a loss of enthusiasm. The Hebrew word, it refers to a sinking back or a dropping their hands from the work, losing heart taking your hand off the plow or your foot off the gas. During the pandemic, are we still in it? Can we, can we just vote no, we're not in it anymore? Fatigue was an often repeated word, was it not? I asked a friend the other day, we were catching up, I hadn't talked to him in years, and I said, hey, do you want to do a FaceTime or Zoom call or do you want to just talk on the phone? He's a professor, he's like, I am Zoom fatigued. Can we just talk on the phone? I said, yes, that would be fine. How many of you just ordered something off Amazon because it was just so much easier than dealing with the chaos at the store? How many of you have avoided plane travel because you didn't want to deal with all the challenges of going through an airport? I think this is the sort of discouragement that the Israelites were feeling. I think this is the main reason why many haven't also returned to the church after the pandemic. This here, we gather, takes effort. 
the pandemic reveals the heart. They don't want to put forth effort anymore, and so many of the people haven't come back. And so as we get back to the text, 20 years pass. The adversaries, they go up the chain of command. They go to the head of the nation, Artaxerxes, which is the only person that can change a prior edict. And so in verses 7 to 10, it includes greetings and salutations, information necessary for the government to make an action in the correspondence. And in verse 11, if you hadn't picked up on it, the tone changes. They start to butter up the king. Great and noble king, your servants need to bring something to your attention. The small nation of Israel is building a small measly temple in their homeland. He doesn't care. Joe Biden does not care about the potholes that will come on our roads in the springtime. He doesn't care about the vision that we cast as a church to impact the area in which we live. But the letter includes a few things that would appeal to the Persian king. Four things are included. Verse 13, if this city is rebuilt and the walls are finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and your revenue will be impaired. It's the king's money. Verse 14, it's not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor. It's the king's pride. Verse 15, the city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and promises, provinces, and sedition was stirred up. It's the king's loyalty. And worst of all, in verse 16, then you will have no possession. Money, pride, loyalty, and worst of all, the king's possession. Everything that he owns. So think about that as syncretism again. If we don't conform to culture, our towns could lose money. Churches don't pay taxes. Because when the government taxes things, they control things. And so the founding fathers, they realize that. We see that even today as the government holds the purse strings of our schools. They are dictating what happens in our schools. Acknowledge this marriage or your tax break might go away. Probably heard that before. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens even more intensely. People may want us to pay more taxes one day. Maybe the government wants to influence us. Maybe they want us to suffer someday soon. It's just money. If they do, if our taxes go up or we start paying them to begin with, We'll figure it out, but we'll trust God in the process. What about honor? Veiled in words like love and acceptance, the world wants rights for all. But they ultimately want to limit the rights to speak freely about things that the Bible is very clear on, like gender and sexuality, marriage, sin. Or there is one way alone for salvation. It's not honoring. It's offensive. Here's a hatred law of Canada. It says this, Publicly inciting hatred makes it an offense to communicate statements in a public place which incite hatred against an identifiable group where it is likely to lead to a breach of the peace. The Crown Prosecutor can proceed either by indictment or by summary process. The maximum penalty is imprisonment of not more than two years, and there is no minimum punishment. That's a real law in Canada. The church is a public place. Identifiable group, I could say, is just sinners. Calling out sin could lead to a lack of peace. Might happen one day. We can't speak where we might not be permitted to speak freely without repercussions.
So finances, honor, loyalty. I know churches who have been trying to build a building here locally for almost 10 years. They have property, but their town says, you could build a building, but you can't open your windows because of the loyalty the town might suffer. Adversaries often know the laws and they manipulate the laws. The adversaries here in our text, they knew the laws of the land, but they twisted the reality for their own purposes. As people against the church, they don't always follow the laws. So what if we're told not to meet again? I think we did the best we could and we did things properly when the pandemic hit. And I'm sure that we made lots of mistakes at the same time. What if those things resurfaced? Would we be rebels for the sake of following God's word? It's finances, honor, loyalty, possession. What if they say we can't meet or have a building? What if they use the Amtrak one day, an eminent domain, to take our property? What would we do? There are people who don't want to give to us. Sorry, there are people who do not want us to give ourselves to the things that we are called to in the Scripture. And we'll go at great lengths to make sure that we don't do it. What will we do? The king in the text, he does a search, and he finds the accusations are true. In verse 24, Then the work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped. And it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. The king functionally says that this order will stay in place until I'm dead or another king says it's going to change. Chapter 4 ends on a downer. Don't gather. Don't grow. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't build. So what if one day we are prohibited in some way of doing what we are called to do in God's word? The work of God does not stop with the work ceasing on the physical structure that Israel was building or that we are giving ourselves to. God doesn't stop working if we don't have a place to gather. In the Old Testament, the temple was indispensable to the presence of God and the work of God in the world. It is where God's glory dwelt with His people. In the New Covenant, we are indispensable to the work of God in the world. We are still the church if they tell us to stop meeting. We preach the gospel everywhere, not just here on Sundays. We do that in our homes. We do that in all the relationships that we have, whether someone approves it or not. And so I have four takeaways that we can apply this passage to our situation if things start getting a little worse in our area. First, as Phil helped us see, we obey the government and the ways that the government obeys God. There's a caveat, as Paul told us to. Israel obeyed. The work stopped. In Acts 5, after some disciples were arrested, this took place. Let me read it. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. You don't want me teaching in Jesus' name? How about I just teach you in Jesus' name is what Peter is doing here. Give honor to whom honor is due. Give respect to whom respect is due. Submit to your government, but only when, not only when we want to, but humbly declare the gospel and do what God says for you to do first and foremost in his word. And this will take wisdom. No pastor took a seminary course on how to lead a church through a pandemic. Every church made mistakes. We made mistakes. But God commands us to do certain things, and we will lovingly and humbly continue to do them. We have a test that we have to do. I think it's quarterly on our water here in the building. Because we're a public building, a public place. And we think it's a waste of time. We think it's a waste of money. But we do it because they're not calling us to violate the scriptures. They aren't asking us to sin. So we obey. So long as it's in accordance with God's word. Second, even when we disagree, we should be loving. Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the men said, no, you cannot help us. They didn't post it on Facebook can you believe these people asked us to help in our project? Israel is silent for the rest of the chapter. So is God. They didn't call in their attorneys. That's not legal. You can't have us do that. I'm not saying we won't need attorneys maybe down the road. We might. But I'm saying that we should be loving. Many pastors today have turned their pulpits for preaching the word of God to a bully pulpit. Teddy Roosevelt said about a bully pulpit is the means by which a terrific platform to which to advocate an agenda. What's our agenda? It's on the back wall. Love God, love others, make disciples. Many Christians leaders have become more for what they are against these days than what they are for. And the sheep are following their shepherds. Many pastors speak more about a specific man they want as president of the United States over the God who became man, who died on the cross for the people's sins, who was the true savior of the world. Be careful who you listen to. I don't know everything. I love to learn. And some people are really smart and I need to learn from them. But our brothers and sisters on death row in China and Iran could care less about our water testing in Royalton, Vermont, let alone who's the president of our country or what we're allowed to do. So Cornerstone, let's be more about who we are for and what we are for than what we are against. We've been asked to do dumb things over the last couple years, but that doesn't mean we need to tell people how dumb they are. Winsomely, we can advocate for truth, but the world around us is in need for the way, the truth, and the life, their savior. They're hell-bound, dying in their sins. And I would wear a mask every day if it meant that I could freely share the gospel with our friends and our neighbors who live around us. Their spiritual health is more important than their physical health and mine and yours. 
We don't need to respond to our towns. You can't tell us what to do. Though many laws are abused, not every law is bad. But will we be loving? Or will we pout? Will we post on Facebook how frustrated we are? Or we take the opportunity, maybe go to a town meeting and have an opportunity to, in front of however many people go to these town meetings, to share the gospel with those who are there and why we believe these things are true. Jesus is Lord over all truth. And sharing that in love is important. We live in a small place. Everyone knows who we are. Everyone knows, well, maybe they don't know that this is a church yet. We're working on that. But are we going to be known as the jerks in town? Because we stick up for our rights? Or will we be known as the loving church there on 107? Be called a bigot for calling sin, sin. That's fine. And sharing about our Savior. But don't be called a bigot because your preferences are violated. Maybe one or two of you should join the school board. I got an email about it. I'm not going to do it because I want to be able to not have any conflict from this pulpit, but maybe one or two of you should. We as a church should come alongside these people if you feel called to do that. Submit according to Scripture. Be loving. And third, we trust God. As the work ceased in chapter 4, the book of Ezra doesn't end there. I'm glad it doesn't. I'm glad the Bible doesn't end there either. They get back to building, which we'll see next week. Our entire vision and everything in our text requires us to trust God. And so submit, even if that means we submit to the things we don't like our government asking of us. We love others. Trusting God has great purposes behind everything under His sovereign control. We're to be loving to each other and to the world around us. The government can tell us not to meet here in this building, but we all have homes, I think. We can gather people into our homes. We can worship in our homes. We should even be doing that between Sundays where we can gather, we can invite people in, show each other hospitality today. We may be pressured to syncretize to whatever social agenda is the flavor of the month, but remember God's word. It guides us, and we know that He will never forsake us because all of the things in God's Word rest on His character. So we cast a vision with a lot of things in it. We don't need a document to exist to make us a church. We need this book. God wasn't surprised that the work stopped. He stirred within Cyrus. He stirred the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. He is sovereign and stirring within these adversaries. Maybe so that the people of God would depend on Him more. Hard things may happen, but will we continue to depend on God in the process? We may stop our plans so that we are reminded that God's plans never fail. Maybe difficulty will cause us to go to God more, to rest in Him more, to trust Him more. Where we submit, we love, we trust, and forth, we don't act like the adversaries. We aren't primarily against culture. We are for Jesus and for His name to be famous around here. And so let's be loving. Let's be truthful. Let's be gracious. But also let's be bold for the gospel.
I had a seminary professor, he warned all of us young 20 students that just knew how to parse some Greek verbs. He said, you guys are dangerous. This was to me, of course. You think you know everything. And he said, just because you have a hammer, not everything is a nail. And so we don't need to go around whacking everything, thinking that we have all the answers to everything. We probably don't. Get a journal. Don't post your frustrations on Facebook. Maybe just share them with your wife or your husband. Post your prayers. Lord, bless so-and-so in my town as opposed to I'm frustrated with so-and-so in my town. Friends, let's allow the Bible to guide us. We follow it and seek to be the church that God calls us to in His Word. Where hardship may come, but we will continue to do what God calls us to in the Scriptures. We will not syncretize. We will not submit if we are asked to go against God's Word. But we need to know God's Word to do that. I was on Facebook myself this past week, and I saw this encouragement from the New Testament of a journal that I follow. I think we'll continue to do these things. Five things. One, read the Bible. Paul told Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. We will do that. We do that a lot here. Two, we preach the Bible. Paul told Timothy to preach the Word. And Paul taught the whole counsel of God himself. Three, we will pray the Bible. We're rooted in Scripture. We will respond to hearing God's Word. We will petition God to accomplish His works in accordance with His Word. Remember as we were in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, If you ask in my name, it will be given. Four, we will sing the Bible. Let God's Word dwell in us richly as we respond to Him and sing about who He is and what He has done soaked in the language and theology of Scripture. And five, we will see the Bible and the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We'll do that again in a couple weeks as we remind each other, look what God has done for us. It may not be easy for us, even soon, but God is sovereign. We will submit to God. He calls us to submit to the governments that are not contradicting His Word. We will love others. We will be confident and trust God to produce fruit in our faithfulness, even if the plans don't end up how we had planned them to be. Our fruitfulness is not contingent on our resources and what we accomplish. Our fruitfulness is contingent on our Redeemer and what He has done. And so whatever may come, it'll be okay. We have each other. Most importantly, we have a God who never leaves us nor forsakes us. We have His Word that leads and guides us. But don't forget, He is faithful. Would you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge that some of these things are easier said than done. And so, God, we ask for your help. And so, Father, we thank you that your spirit, the helper, the comforter, lives within us to remind us of the truths in your word, to lead and to guide us, to convict us of our sin, to cause us to repent, to follow you, and to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to love our neighbors ourselves, even the neighbors that we disagree with or we think are dumb. God, would you hold, help us to hold our tongue, to love our neighbors? 
our friends like you do. Because you said, the greater love have no one than this. He would lay down his life for his friend. And so God, would you help us to be friends like you are, who laid down his life for the sake of sinners like us, as we lay down our lives for those who we interact with. We might not want to submit to so that they might see you as their Savior. And so God, we rest in your sovereign hand who holds us fast, who leads and guides us, a mighty fortress, who protects your people, never leaves us nor forsakes us. And we sing that now. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.